All right. Well, I guess we can get started. Sure. Cool. So, welcome everyone to our hangout with Pith. As I'm sure most of you are aware, uh, we use Pith every day for our decks. They are critical infrastructure for Lafinity. So it's great to be able to chat with you guys. Thanks for having us on, and thanks for making this happen. Yeah, we're huge fans of Lafinity as well. We're glad that we're able to support what you guys are doing, and we thought it'd be fun to hang out, answer a few questions that the audience may have about Pith Network, and just, you know, uh just 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 shout about whatever's topico uh so my name is edward i uh lead growth and growth and strategy at the uh pith network i've been full-time on pits for about uh since about january uh had had, had the pleasure of working here with uh, mark who you'll never guess where he's from from his accent uh before before pith i was on project serum for about a year uh and yeah it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure So I'm Mark from RTC. Like PMA is pretty much the French slang. In French slang, you just reverse the world. So for Mark, it went to Kima on the online. Uh, I've been working on PIF for yeah, like last April, April 2021. Uh, so one and a half year. It flew so fast. It's amazing. And doing pretty much everything that's technical. So you'll see. CMing in the Discord, in the Telegram, um, doing a bit of uh, marketing, a bit of like kind of gross finding new users, uh, making the product better for existing users. So for a month, anything that's not coded, coded, you can always ping me about it and I can try to do something. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, is your team like pretty global, would you say? Mostly. We have like we, we have a little base in Portugal. Um, we have a few people in Singapore. Um, and we have also a few in the Americas, whether North or South America. So, yeah, we're distributed. And here you have Ed, which is more US time. I'm Europe time. And and Mario is uh, Asia time. So we, we, it's kind of, at least for the front face, at least it makes sense because you always want someone to be up or be, yeah, be available. Um, so yeah, that's like, as soon as you have a minimum of kind of people spread around after you can even concentrate, like if all the devs are out of same place and what, but so far we've been managing well on, on spreading around the world. Where are you? Where are you? Where's the Lifinity crew uh, based uh, in the world, pretty much? I think uh, we're in various places. I happen to be in Japan, um, and actually, on that note, I, I I couldn't help but notice Ed Crypt that your uh, your picture, it looks like a Japanese vending machine next to a Japanese electricity pole. Is that what that is? That is correct. You're the first person I think ever to have realized uh, both both of those facts. <laughs> yes, my profile picture is of a vending machine. Um, I don't think there's anything too symbolic about it. I just really like those vending machines. But sometimes, 
as I'm uh, running the rounds of the server and you know making sure people's questions are being answered uh, 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 during my Canadian hours, as Mark put it, I sometimes do feel like a vending machine, right? I'm just here to get people what they need. And in, in, in the case of Fifth Network, we're here to get you the data that you need. And with me and Mark, we're here to get you all the information you need about the Fifth Network. So I think I think it's quite fitting. <laughs> wow, so smooth tying it in with the Fifth. <laughs> when does your machine start on your picture? Right? I've never paid too much attention. When when does the what start? Is it sell your machine? What does it sell? It sells yeah. love and good vibes. It's our soul. If, if only good vibes were so easily accessible. Well, that's what we try to generate here at the Pith Network. <laughs> um, I think I think I think that's one nice thing about the Solana ecosystem. People are pretty chill. People are serious about building. People know how to have fun, um, and you you don't have like some overwhelming, disgusting sense of like aggressive tribalism that you may see elsewhere. Yeah, agree. Hopefully things stay that way even as Solana gains more recognition, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so too. I think, I think the, the way forward is to be open-minded and, 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 and accepting of all, of all, of all, of all changes. Right. Yeah. I think change is inevitable. And we, we try to be a bit chain agnostic at Pith network too, because we will go cross. I mean, we are going cross chain with wormhole. We're deployed on BNB chain for testnet and devnet. Um, and the implication is that we are we basically have every other EVM compatible chain in sight. We're deep in talks with them. We're going to be deployed there soon. And you know, once that happens, the whole world's going to find out. But basically, the fair the fair rule of thumb is if it's fair game for Wormhole, then it's fair game for us. Nice. Actually, on that note, so like one question that we commonly get is whether we are considering going cross chain. And usually our answer is possibly, but that it would um, involve a lot more com complexity because um, part of the reason that we're able to work so well on Solana is the uh, low latency of the block times. <clears throat> and once there's more lag, that makes us more susceptible to front running. Um, so when Pith goes cross-chain, does that mean that basically um, you would provide a price update in every block? So basically same as Solana, just uh, slower speed to match their chain? Overall, we'll, we'll keep the Solana standard, let's say. So we'll keep updating every price slot. And for cross-chain, we'll... It will pretty much also depend on the chain, because as everyone knows, like Ethereum gas uh, is pretty expensive. And if we stop <laughs> publishing on each slot at the end of the day, I don't know how much it would be. To... Oh, actually, today might not be that expensive, given how, how low are the gas fees. Um, but it might be more initially kind of as a request base. So like you, you can imagine the whole um flow from solana prices to uh wormhole will continue like will continue and like applications on any non-solana change will be able to i need the price now and you get served the latest price from solana so it's a bit a bit more nimble 
so that like you need a price, you can query it uh, whenever you. So it won't be, uh, we won't kind of like maintain strictly the update on every block of all the chains. But then if users want to help cover this, it might very well happen. Like think of a, like BNB chain or, or things where like gas still remains. It wouldn't be shocking, but let's imagine you have 20 protocols using PEF. After it can be kind of, a, you could imagine a pool where people kind of collectively pay fees. So like at the end of the day, you could get updates in all the blocks of your chain for relatively low cost. So this, I think it's how it's gonna go down. Um, and then I think, cause you also already have somehow another, another topic, but you could already kind of play around with updating on Solana and front running, let's say other chains Oracle that don't update or that update every half hour. So this is, and a few, I think individuals are actually on themselves front running oracles, whether it's on synthetics or things like this. Um, so we'll see how it goes in practice, but overall that will be the design. Got it. Thanks for that. Yeah, I, f I forgot to consider um, that it costs uh, fees to even put the data on chain. And Solana, it's so cheap that it's, it's uh, not a lot, but yeah, it can become pretty pricey on other chains. <laughs> And actually, I wonder for for Lefinity, uh on other chains. I guess EVM, you have a, a, a huge risk or potential risk of like gas walls and just being front run. Not even so much on the price, but almost like just being sandwiched, which is I think super like risky. It, so, it, do you think that kind of Lefinity's potential is? greater non EVM chain, like the next AMM on NIA, like it's Rust base. Uh, I'm not a, a NIA, uh, uh, like I don't have deep knowledge on NIA on other non EVM, but I guess we have much less kind of sandwich attack possibilities. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding of sandwich attacks is where, well, you, you as a trader place a transaction and then that transaction is sandwiched so that you get uh, worse execution. So like it's a trader's problem, not the DEX's problem. And the trader can mitigate that by specifying the maximum amount of slippage so that a sandwich wouldn't work. Um, so I don't, I don't think sandwich attacks would be a problem, but... Um, yeah, front running the Oracle updates, I think could be a problem, especially like on something like Ethereum because they have a mempool. So like um, the next Oracle update is publicly visible before it ever goes on chain. There's probably plenty of time to form the transactions. Um, for example, like they could buy um, ETH on uh, Lefinity on Ethereum. Um, and then because they know that after the Oracle update, the price of ETH is going to go up. So once the price goes up, they just sell the ETH back to Lefinity at a higher price. And our pool has been um, arbitraged with itself, essentially. 
So um, I think that's the, the type of risk that we would have as a dex. <clears throat> yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, pretty much if going cross-chain you'd have, it won't be so much like cross-chain arbitrage, but rather have your own pool, like Lifinity pools on, on Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the risk lies, especially. And how kind of how do you envision it? Is it more right now kind of expanding what you trade on Solana? What's kind of the next uh, big um, say evolution or expansion for Infinity in mind? Yeah, so <clears throat> right now we don't even have many pools yet. So I think step number one is just increasing the number of pools. Um, part of that involves uh, making custom oracles. So for example, for MSOL USDC, um, because so Pith has an MSOL oracle, but the amount of trading volume for MSOL on centralized exchanges is pretty sparse. People just prefer to trade soul rather than msol at least right now so what we do instead is use pith's soul oracle which has very robust trading data so we use that as a base and then adjust that according to the staking rewards that msol has accrued um, and yeah use that to create a msol usdc oracle and uh yeah so we're like doing that and some variations of that for other token pairs. <clears throat> Let's see. So yeah, that's priority number one. I mean, like we still have liquidity from our IDO that we have to deploy. So that's why just opening new pools and deploying that liquidity where we can is probably the highest ROI thing we can do right now. Um, beyond that, let's see. So, and also I should say like partially the reason the difficulty with opening pools right now is that we're in a bear market and there's um, much less trading volume in a bear market. So we've tried a few pools um, such as Mango and FTT, um, but unfortunately they just didn't have enough volume to make it worth it. So, uh, but that may change in a bull market and opening pools for them wouldn't be difficult at all. Wouldn't require any like customization or anything. So yeah, there's also this timing aspect. So yeah, just continuing to keep an eye on how the markets evolve. Um, other than that, one idea that's floated around is <clears throat> um, using or expanding our Oracle to use um, NFT oracles. So if if we had a robust oracle for the floor price of an NFT, then we could, for example, pair that with um, the tech that Solvent has, where they fractionalize NFTs into fungible tokens. And so if we then pair the fungible tokens with Sol, and then concentrate that around um, the oracle price of uh, the floor price of the NFTs, then um, yeah, it'd be possible to provide a lot of liquidity 
uh, very efficiently because we're able to concentrate. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I've heard of that before, like a concentrated liquidity for NFTs. Um, the difficulty, of course, is like creating the Oracle for NFTs. Um, I think there are some protocols, but as far as I can tell, like the documentation is kind of sparse. So I don't even know like how they ensure that the Oracle price is um, robust. So, but yeah, that's that's one idea. I actually looked at Solvent yesterday, and to be sure I understand correctly, would you would Lifinity purely uh, market make on? I think they call it droplets, or right. but you can also uh, let's say buy outright an NF an NFT from the pool. And as I looked yesterday, these NFTs like from Solvent look to be cheaper than the floor price on Magic Eden. So is it really Lifinity? Would, would it be really about not making the droplet? Or would you think vision on, oh, it, the NFT is cheaper than the floor, let's buy out NFTs and resell the floor and capture that, like, I don't know, one, two, three percent spread? <clears throat> yeah, so part of the thing for us would be buybacks because um, our NFT project has buybacks already. And then just adding the droplets part um, just means we would able to do buybacks cheaper when that's available. So that would be part of it. Um, but the reason for the creating the liquidity, um, so it'd be nice for our protocol um, to have that or like any NFT project really. So like being able to offer this to other NFT projects, um, that, that would be really cool because uh, like basically NFT projects um, don't have, I mean, they don't have this this um, this type of liquidity, right? Or like not any robust one, like uh, <laughs> especially on the, the buy side. So like if there's a bunch of NFTs lift, listed on Magic Eden, then you could say, okay, there's a lot of liquidity right now because the floor is thick. But on the buy side, um, I guess it's possible to for like people to place the um, I'm not sure what they're called, like basically limit orders. Or it's like for a listed NFT, say like if you give me this much soul, I'll buy it type of thing. But it's like not aggregated, so it's it's kind of on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, basically. And uh, yeah, wherever you can aggregate things, it more often than not makes things more efficient. So if they're ag able to aggregate the liquidity into a pool, um, I think a lot of projects would be interested in that. They also are able to capture the fees through that. And Solvent also has some other things you could do. One is um, where you can swap your NFT for a different NFT in their bucket <clears throat> um, for a fee. So that's also another way to generate revenue and also provide utility where for a small fee, people can uh, swap their NFT for another one they like more. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like Oracle, uh, Oracle pricing for NFT, even even floor, like re requires so much thinking because as you mentioned, the first time it, it like comes to mind is like it's easy to read Let's say the all the all the 
bids, uh, no, sorry, all the asks, uh, so all the listed NFTs. But yeah, then what happens if someone make a 50% discount bid on an, an NFT listed? It gets failed for whatever reason. Like, so it almost kind of a mix of, uh, but, and that's actually how, like, our prices are like, or let's say more traditional assets are being made. Like it's from exchanges, you get kind of the order book because they own their own order book and the data within. And then you have traders who own their fields. So it's actually a great, like, it's actually something to keep in mind as well as like NFT Oracle feed will appear at some point on the Like it's like, as we, as the whole network grows and like becomes like more and more decentralized and permissionless, it will be like pretty much anyone that owns PIF and stake PIF could become a publisher at some point. So there's like, I think it will be the way to get uh, keep pricing because it's like we're, we're more, we're way more kind of um, aware knowledgeable around let's say more traditional assets where you have let's say liquid markets the um, thing is going to be also something that we might put it put out like later this year some kind of community work or dev work or quant work to kind of create even the first template of how to price an nft and like it's not like as easy as just reading the full price as we as we mentioned with the bids but also with PIF, like you have the confidence interval. So there's also like, cause then once you have a price feed for NFT, like it can be, it can become a, a perpetual drift VAMM or synthetics or on Synthetify. Like it can, it can be used in so many ways that we have to be also like super mindful on like how it's built, how it's aggregated and how it acts like in like long tail events. What if someone lists like 20 NFTs at 50% below floor, things like this. So there's also the whole, like, and I, and I think it's, it makes very much sense. Like confidence interval, even for traditional asset makes sense. But for NFT, it's even better. Like you look at maybe 10% of the whole market and all this theoretically could be argued it, it is the truth. Um, and talking a bit confidence, uh, interval, does Definity uh, leverage the confidence interval? And, and if so, how do you do it? <clears throat> yeah, we definitely do. Uh, let's see. Reminding myself how we use it. <laughs> um, safety first after all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, My guess would be would you, if the confidence, usually some, some other application, usually they, they, they would interpret it as if the confidence interval value is X percent of the price, usually it's like it ranges one to 10%. They will deem the aggregate price to be too uncertain uh, and wait until, um, the confidence interval goes back below, let's say one percent, and until then, like no actions is possible. And just for reference, usually, our confidence interval in normal condition is like zero point one percent of the price. 
Yeah, so I think what you said is what we do. So yeah, we, we only trade when the confidence interval is sufficiently narrow. So if it's like pretty wide, we'll just not trade until it becomes narrow enough again. Um, yeah, and this is basically to avoid um, front running or arbitrage. So yeah, and that's very helpful that we have the confidence interval for that. Um, when it's just a single price point, um, it doesn't give you the information about like, um, so basically, I mean, the price point is an aggregation of all the data provided by the data providers, but uh, just one number doesn't tell you um, how close together everyone's estimates are. And the confidence interval provides that variability. So yeah, being able to use that to um, add nuance to our trading decisions definitely helps. And as far as I know, like Pith is the only Oracle that provides confidence intervals, yeah? Yeah, and but, uh, maybe we're, we're confidence interval maxi now, but it's kind of shocking, and especially in crypto, to not have seen this uh, value metrics spinned up, because even if we still talk BTC, there's like 25, let's say, reputable, or maybe less, 15 reputable centralized exchanges, and BTC never trade at the same price. So it's kind of, I agree with you that giving only one price point, it's now by nature, it's, it's, it's wrong because there is no single price for an asset. And I think we're still super early in how to use, how applications can use the confidence interval. Because I'm like, we'll see many, as we saw kind of definitely kind of completely revamping the AMM uh world i wouldn't be shocked if we start seeing like virtual amm like drift or synthetify like scaling liquidity based on the confidence interval like if you buy one btc slippage there's no slippage it's the swap price but if you buy a hundred btc you're like your entry price will progress go into let's say the higher band of the confidence interval things you're buying so I think we're still um, like as a security safety measure and show of certainty is amazing. It's already great, but I think there's definitely a, a next leg up in innovation around how to do this. It could be you could like you could even imagine likely you'll need to run some uh, some back testing on it. But normally, as volatility increases. Uh, up or down, confidence interval widens because, like, not all trading places like go at the same speed or are arbitraged by the same people the same way or in the same efficient manner. Uh, but it could be a proxy for volatility. So I don't know if we would need to run kind of a VIX comparison against the, the confidence interval uh, relative value, but I'd be like we we could envision someone creating a perp around just the confidence value, showing, let's say, what's the path uncertainty per or something. That'd be interesting. Yeah, actually, I, I was uh, going to take it there with uh, its relationship to volatility. And I wanted to ask, um, like, whether you knew, like, uh, the correlation between the confidence interval width and 
the current volatility um, because yeah one thing we're trying to implement is volatility adjusted fees and the question is how do we determine the volatility um, i guess the the obvious answer is to just use some form of historical volatility of the price but yeah if uh, if the confidence interval is also indicative of it and like indicative of current volatility um I was wondering if like maybe that would be an option to implement likely well it needs to go under uh thorough quantitative analysis um i'd guess that confident like long term i'd guess yeah just historical price evolution is somehow the best proxy for volatility and as of right now, we're working on uh, making a public historical database available. So like not too far in the future, everyone can have access to all like all time piece prices that were ever pushed on chain. So anyone will be able to run with the public prices, any kind of analysis they want pretty much. Uh, so likely we'll start seeing people creating their IV calculation based on this, but it might be short, like short term. Like, so if we talk seconds, uh, trading, uh, I'd guess the confidence interval would be a great proxy, but I think you still have some occurrences where it's not so much about volatility, volatility itself. Cause for example, if we look back at, um, as Luna went to zero for the much, like when it started be being under $1, like all the exchanges, so pretty much Binance and FTX for hours, they were trading like at two cents. Um, and you had Wobi, OKX at 40 cents. Uh, like Wobi, OKX, like the classic, we suspend withdrawal. So there is a massive arbitrage to be made. Um, and in this case, pay price, like we look back at it uh, in the post mortem on it. And the aggregate price, Followed the lines of, let's say, the FTX Binance pricing because most of the volume were there. The traders that also publishing data to Pith, like, were doing most of the volume there. So the theoretical true price was more around two, three cents. But given that we have uh, Wobi coin uh, on Pith 2, like, we had inputs and which were true. Price is 40 cents. And if you look back at the piece price for Luna, you'd see that the aggregate price was two, three cents. And sometimes the confidence was like 10 cents, so like five times the price, um, might be even up to 20 at some point. And like, when we look back in time, it was like, yeah, like you could argue that one Luna could be exchanged within this super wide confidence band because like two of the biggest worldwide exchanges were actively trading at this price. But then would this high confidence event period experienced on Luna USD price field would show volatility? I'm not sure. So that's why I think there's like, there's a bit more around creating uh, volatility based on the confidence interval, like excluding this kind of event where you have actively active arbitrage, uh, I think it's a good, it could be a, a good proxy, but not 100% of the time. 
Gotcha. Interesting. So there's like some edge cases, basically, that you need to keep in mind. And yeah, because it's, you can also envision it also as a security. Um, yes. Um, like as we, let's say, become permissionless and someone become a, a publisher, so he, he has to stake pay. So it will have like financial risk of acting badly. Uh, but if they do, let's say they send this assets worth a billion, where it's, it's worth, let's say, one USD, like the whole aggregation mechanism we have aims to first remove the outliers, but also be robust in kind of those cases. So that it would require an insane level of collusion to print a bad price. And so rather than print a bad price, the intermediate stage would be printing a good price, but the confidence interval would widen because maybe six or eight or 10 publishers on BTC are uh, acting maliciously. Uh, I think it's also like it's very versatile. Uh, so it might, yeah, it might not be in the, and after we'll see how it evolves over time. Because um, as soon as like the goal down the line is to have like 400, 300, 500 publishers. And like if you start having 200 publishers for BTC, I'd imagine all these edge cases kind of fade into irrelevance because the coverage is so big that like those like couple edge case or location where insane things happen would just be disregarded because the overall consensus the overall market consensus would would put it on a more like would be more pretty much got it yeah we'll keep an eye on um how that develops uh also looking at your um exponential Weight, exponentially weighted moving average. Um, yeah, whether we can use that for a proxy for volatility somehow. Yep. So, Ian, yeah, yeah, after also, the, there can be some interpretation around this. Um, so, first we have, yeah, it's, I think it's a one hour EMEA, but when you put an EMEA, uh, like if you chart it and we have a blog post about it, Pretty much like the yeah the last thirty minutes has like over ninety percent of the weight, um, and usually like most of the trading maybe it's more traditional trading but most most of the traditional trading firms and and applications uh, prefer uh, EMEA of simple moving average, um, but like we have many options protocol that use PIF for expiry settlement. And like the benchmark in the market is there a bit. So you'll also see uh, new values, like addition, like extra values. Soon enough on this price, likely you'll be able to, to, to get like a 30 minute uh, TWAP, but TWAP simple moving average. So every single price point will be equally weighted and not overly weight the, the, the more recent one. And it's pretty easy to kind of spin extra values because it's just calculation uh, from on-chain data. So like you could imagine extra values like 15 minute TWAP, equally weighted, 30 minutes, one hour, uh, stuff like this. So like the whole ideas, and I think also the historical database is gonna bring like, it's like, uh, gonna open up the, 
the door for many kind of new development on how to leverage the piece price. Like, don't like your 30 minute TWAP. All right, you just connect there and create your own one minute TWAP. Or like, for example, there's other, um, well, I'm digressing a bit, but there is like, for example, Zeta markets, they do their settlement. They pick any price within 10 seconds uh, after 8 a.m. You could imagine people picking the 10 prices after 8 a.m. and just taking the median. So you also kind of increases security of what happens if there's an outlier straight out, like straight after 8 a.m. So I think like there's like it, we, we, I don't like saying this, but we're early, <laughs> not so much into crypto, but into all the fine development around uh, Solana DeFi and, and Oracle network XL. I mean, if this is early, I'm excited. <laughs> Much more goodies to come. Um, so I asked our community if they had any questions for you. So I was wondering if we could ask you a few of those. Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. All right, so first one we have from Pygmy. They ask, uh, They'd like Pith to give us an update on their collaboration with Jump Capital. Are they still working on HST being possible on chain? That is NASDAQ type exchange. HST? HST. I'm not sure what that re is referring to, but. I am also not aware. So I'm keen to have a. I'll look up for the questions and follow to, to get some links. Uh, but pretty much first, Jump Capital. If I'm aware, I think they stopped it. They kind of, everything's under Jump Crypto now. Um, they still have their big, like it's Jump Trading remains like the top five worldwide trading firms. Uh, they're still highly like Peace Network. Uh, we have a, a Swiss association, the Peace Data Association. That is the uh, kind of the key driver. Like you could imagine the goal is like to some, somehow like, not replace, but be like the Ethereum Foundation. Like you, we are like all there to contribute to, let's say, the network growth, the, the protocol growth. Um, in this association, we have, I think, over twenty-five members who are some of the early contributors, uh, often publishers uh, to the network. So you have Jump, you have Jane Street, you have Virtue, you have Elmax. Like you have all these kind of big uh, U.S. trading firms, U.S. exchanges, but no, yeah, we're lucky enough, like to to have like those like Chad <laughs> uh, crypto companies. Now they they do crypto, uh, whether trading or, or developing. We're we're still receiving insane amount of of support from from Jump and actually other publishers. Like we had a handful of publishers that hired engineers specifically for contribution to it. Uh, so we've been lucky enough to like maybe receive, I don't know, more than 20 full-time like external contributors work. And this mostly coming from publishing. Uh, but yeah, we're still like, we have great connection, uh, luckily with all the biggest, all the biggest firms uh, jumping on. And yeah, uh, like as it is with wormhole, committed to it because like if, if you put yourself into a trading firm uh, choose 
I, it's kind of, I won't dive too deep into the market data business and, and market data structure, but pretty much all these trading firms, they trade billions and billions on US exchanges. Um, and like a US exchange, pretty much 13 of them, they are like US regulated ones by the SEC, by the government. And pretty much to be able to trade there, you have to pay connectivity fees. And this fee is like half a million to a million dollars a year. And down the line, it's a centralized exchange, a US centralized exchange. It just sells its kind of order book technology where the trader will fill up the order book. So like for a long time, traders were like, without my, without my bids and asks, your exchange is worthless or the data you sell us is worthless because we are the one kind of, like you derive your data from our work. And like the whole pith idea was kind of originated from this, like, oh, actually I'm, let's say I'm the biggest trader in the world, like Apple stock, like most of the time you're not long or short. You're purely, uh, whether it's arbitraging, wall selling, whatever reason, but you make southern and southern of trades per second on a single stock. So they were like, we own all this data. So pretty much we can like create a new composite stream of market data from like proprietary information. And so that was kind of the kickstart of Pith idea. It was like this that and because retail wise, you and I all here, like if you go on internet and you check Apple stock, Google stock, all the price you see on Yahoo Finance, Google Finance is delayed by 15 minutes. So it's kind of a mix of the realization that traders own data that could replace, let's say the exchanges feeds or even Bloomberg. And the whole idea of kind of leveling the playing field, no more. It's only the big traders that pay a million per year to get the life price, but everyone here can go on PIP network and you open up the Apple USD chart and you'll have live pricing. Uh, and again, as we are, I think we are the first one to ever introduce conference interval. I guess we also are the first platform like web three or web two that offers live streaming prices for equities. Um, and like, I'm insanely uh, proud and supportive and like, it's an amazing kind of contribution you can do not only to DeFi protocols, because like you'd see, if you check no Oracle offer equity price feeds because like they don't have access to the data and they don't want to pay a million for it. Pierce the only one, but also for the whole kind of retail community, whether it's GMEA, AMCA for all the like Wall Street uh, boys, Reddit crowd. Like it's insanely valuable to provide life pricing for these assets. So it's kind of a mix of like reshaping the data structure, uh, how it flows from creators to users, but also empowering the whole world, like whole kind of retail community. Yeah, no, it's truly incredible <laughs> that you you guys have gotten um, all these huge firms to essentially work together, um, even though like uh, 
like traditionally they're probably viewed as like competitors to each other and like normally you wouldn't want to share your data but yeah you guys created this awesome product where it makes sense for them to share their data which is awesome i think it's almost you could see after like it, it's there is a u.s exchange that was created it's called memex the members exchange and it's not the same idea but it's kind of the the same reasoning that all the biggest traders were like you exchanges make too much money out of our pockets we'll create our own exchange and it's kind of removing the middleman is one of the beauty that like blockchain enables like you can just directly go from the source to the end user and like all these guys really understood the value directly like all these trading firms that yeah reliance from data they understood the value behind being kind of data creator and and i think we like and after it's kind of a sociological or psychological event where like if you see your competitor do something like for maybe for no reason you'll be like if he does it i need to do it so for it was really incredible to as we unboarded and we started with kind of the big players, GTS, Virtue, Jump, like all the, let's say, subsequent trading firm were like, if they do, I'm like, if they do it, I have to do it. And it's all like, they're reaching out to us now to provide data. So it's very cool to, to see the market fit. And after, yeah, it's, we've been mostly talking like US stocks, FX, it's a bit the same. Uh, so far we've been looking crypto because like all the exchange API free uh most of the data is like instant um and everything but what happens if it stops being that, uh, such and like an ftx api is still less i'd say sexy than a ftx quote on path because of course you could get the the spread from the api but here you already like kind of packaged into each other um so that's pretty cool and I think the whole economics around uh, the peace token is also kind of like it was really, we put a lot of thought into it and it resonated with all the publishers of like kind of a free market. Like you stake this token so that you have a financial interest or you have a financial vesting interest in providing good data. Because uh, if you give bad data, you'll get slashed. And if you, the better the data, the more rewards you'll collect. So. It's, it was really designed, uh, the interaction within publishers, within Path is what really well, like, put deeply on to kind of instill a continuous competition. And those guys compete, like, they, <clears throat> they trade for billions a day, all against each other, and they love competing. So that's very cool, and I think it clicked with them. And the whole idea after, We'll see as it goes live, and but I'm very excited to see it's going to be kind of the oracle hedge that consumer can can opt in, uh, where like pretty much like the whole first the free market. If no one pays data fees voluntarily, maybe like the system doesn't work. It's not like this price feed is not variable. But on top of it, introduce some kind of insurance to to further tie the network together. I think they. It really clicked with the with the publishers where yeah they pay a lot for this while they kind of help creating the product 
but also they understand the value of like how much people depend on those price feeds and most of the time when those price feeds in the legacy world or even legacy oracle fucked up there's no repercussion to anyone and there is no kind of insurance payout so it's really kind of like full circle and i think that's how the best way to kind of achieve full decentralization and permission like a full permissionless platform yeah i really love the mechanism design that's in your guys's tokenomics too actually on that note um i'm interested to ask so two related questions um one is um how does the protocol detect whether someone uses um pith's oracle data because my understanding is i'm not a dev but my understanding is that like the data is published on the blockchain for anyone to see so like uh, i'm i'm confused about like how pith can detect who is and isn't using it and so you're right exactly on this one you're exactly right it's all data created on the blockchain everyone can query it we cannot we cannot put the paywall on it uh so how it will work not everyone will be entitled to an insurance payout only the people the wallets because down the line it will be wallets on the blockchain will pay voluntarily pay data fees uh on each epoch let's say our the pith epoch will be a month so let's imagine your infinity and you want to insure for the sole price feed you would like from any wallet in the end we like we don't care if it's your personal wallet or the official wallet of infinity but this wallet abc would voluntarily put let's say a thousand piece token Later on, it can be paid in other tokens, like, I don't know, USDC or anything. Um, we'd be able to, like, last day of this month, you drop one thousand path and under the sole USD price feed vault. At the end of the month, if, let's say, uh, no claims um, of the price was wrong is issued, all these fees collected in this vault will be shared within publishers. Um, and if there is a wrong price, we have a claim process using human protocol um, that will, let's say, prove an off-chain price. And if this price is wrong, we'll slash all the publishers that were uh, in discrepancy versus the off-chain price. And all these slash will be proportionally given to the wallets that paid fees. So if Lifinity pays, 1,000 pith, and another protocol pays another 1,000 pith, pretty much Lifinity, the Lifinity wallet will have 50% of the like potential slashed pith tokens. So, and you could imagine a third protocol that uses PIF price feed, but don't pay fees. If the price wrong, it's unfortunate, too bad for you. No insurance, because you didn't pay fees. So that's kind of also like how to drive more robust feed by paying fees first you get a potential hedge on the oracle failure and we'll see what what it pays but also the more fees are paid, the more interesting the price feed becomes to be a publisher if i don't know there is a hundred k usd of fees a month on solana feeds like everyone's gonna rush there to be like okay 
it costs me, I don't know, 1,000 USD, whatever, because you, you envision to, to provide this data, but I'm getting on average, I don't know, 3x my investment every month in fees. And the more fees, the more publishers come and the more robust uh, the field becomes, like the less likely it will have a failure. So like, so it will really be worded based and you could technically, like you could not use the feed and pay fees. And Oracle failure, you have no application. Like it's, it's like we, there, there won't be a KYC. <laughs> so like I, you could almost kind of short the reliability if we could put it this way. Right, got it. That's uh, pretty interesting. It's uh, very different than what I had assumed. I have to think about that more. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Um, so, And one thing to mention is, um, no, 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 actually that was irrelevant here. Sorry. <laughs> All right, no worries. All right, I have another question from um, our community. So Henry asks, I would like to know from what minimums and criteria, uh, parentheses, volumes, number of sources, etc., that Pith decides to publish a feed, and more particularly on how they plan in the future to increase their number of tracked assets, especially if uh, DEXs take some market share from centralized exchanges. Yeah, so it will be how new price feeds added on Pith it will be, there is the current, let's say, uh, environment and, and there's the, long, the final state when PATH is fully decentralized, how to add a new feed. So to overall, any feed, it has a minimum threshold of three publishers. And when I mean three active publishers on a price feed, if we receive less than three quotes, one from each different publisher, we won't aggregate them just to kind of remove the, like you don't want to receive only one quote and this is your price because it's like infinitely gameable. So our, like for existing feed already in production, whenever it's below three feeds, it doesn't update the aggregate price. Um, right now, to add new feeds, we, given that three, below three, the feed is unusable and that's just bad UX and risky for any protocol to have a stale feed. So pretty much our minimum threshold today to kind of start kickstarting or searching or exploring if we can price this is to have like six different publishers pretty much. Um, somehow you could publishers and sources as in sources, I mean more as like marketplaces where this is traded somehow it conflicts a bit, but not so much. Cause if a token is on all the big centralized exchange, like first all these exchange can provide their data to PIP, but traders are much more active on centralized exchanges. And one publisher will likely look at all the centralized exchanges for the same coin. And so we will have like a full kind of market coverage. Um, but overall, like if, if we manage to have at least six guys able to source X token. We are like, we're fine adding it. Uh, after there's always like kind of request and demand, how much value does this price feed kind of bring? 
like like we don't take any cut, but how much kind of TVL or activity or how much does it help the protocol? So that's kind of the second stage of like pure demand based. Um, and after once let's say we are okay, we'll list X token next. Uh, we always like have a thorough kind of reliability testing. We also released a blog post, uh, I don't know, two, three months ago that explains how we do reliability testing. Uh, but pretty much we'll have six, those six or seven publishers that uh, are able to, maybe it's, maybe there are 12, but from six, we start running like a three, four days uh, reliability study to see how correlated or not publishers are in between them. And like, that's the thing we really don't want to have highly correlated publishers. Cause if one thing moves somewhere, pretty much all the publishers will act the same way and you lose a bit of robustness. So pretty much, I think the standard is that we have an uptime of like 99.9% or 90, 99% before releasing into mainnet. And, um, after I won't be able to tell the exact value of correlation, but we have another threshold purely on how reliable the price itself is. So that's kind of the current way how we add uh, new price feeds. Are we able to source it? Is there the, usually is there demand? Then we check, are we able to source it? If so, we try to, uh, we start, let's say we create the product and we start onboarding publisher. And whenever we can, we, we run this test. Um, and like we, we've been growing a lot. So there's always kind of allocation of resources of if you have multiple devs working on this aspect of new feeds, you kind of reduce, even if the team's big, you kind of remove a bit of potential workforce from the small contract kind of building, like the whole, the, the remaining features. Um, but that's kind of the current state how we do. And long-term, like it will be fully governance-based. So we'll spin up, uh, like we'll have a whole uh, kind of classic form where I will have template for new price feed requests so that like anyone will be able to submit any idea I want to solve. I want this price feeds. Th this is where it's traded. Um, liquidity. and. You mentioned liquidity. We don't have a hard cap threshold, but if it's like 10K uh, USD, uh, we liquidate like volume per day. Like it's, you'd wonder if it's actually valuable to have this token in the first place, because like pretty much no one use it or at least no one's traded. it. Um, but back to the governance, it will be forum post pretty much. You kind of list whatever the, the history of the coin, where we can source it. Um, one thing also is that as it goes live, likely we'll have the incentives mechanism also, uh, like following so that you could say you own your founder of a protocol, or you just like a, a protocol a lot and you want to see a piece price feed, you could say, I'm willing to contribute, I don't know, 50 K USD worth of fees for the next six months, three months, nine months. And so that will kind of signal to publisher that are able to quote it. They'll be like, okay, this I can quote. They kind of offer incentives for me to get onto it. 
all vote yes on the on the governance. So that's kind of the whole idea of like long term, it will fully be governance on like, and maybe a product could be created, but then if there's no incentives, no one's going to publish it. Um, so like we'll have a, a thorough governance forum and governance process for this. That's kind of how we envision it long term, like really kind of almost as like Airbnb. You have like you have a request yourself, you go on the website, you put in your kind of filter, and then you have people offering this. And so here, whenever like we'll have this publishers at some point will become like it will become a permission that's possible. So you and I, we could have a bot. Or we kind of build our own oracle or price aggregator. We get some PIF, we stake it, and we start publishing data for this. And like that's really long term, like open, free data marketplace where if you want something, you can attract people by signaling your payment fees. Or yourself, you directly become publisher, and even if there's no fees, you can contribute. And likely, I wouldn't be shocked if. Like we see a few DAOs of NFT, like the Monkey DAO or any other NFT, or even like DAOs of, of other coins. I don't uh, none come to mind, but is there a Solana one? But we a good one. But you could imagine pretty much anyone, any protocol, NFT or DeFi, be like, it's worth it to have a piece price feed. So I'll kind of put this on the line uh, to interest other people, but also I can get PIF and provide data for this. So it's very, like whole idea, and I say, I think in every space, whole idea is almost for the PIF team to be able to die and the network to continue working uh, like perfectly fine. It's a bit more of it, I think it gets the point across. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for the very thorough answer. All right, well, uh, those are all the questions we had from our community. So, uh, and uh, looks like we crossed the hour mark. So maybe start closing now. Um, is there anything you guys, or that we should uh, keep an eye out for that you guys will be releasing soon? Uh, I think for the, for the multi-chain maxi, I think one of our upcoming exciting developments, and we mentioned about it earlier, will be going uh, multi-chain or cross-chain, depends if you include Wormwall being a chain. But I think if you use, like if you're a Cosmos aficionado, if you're BNB one, if you're near one, I think it's like, you'll likely see us there, not so far out. Um, and after I think like, we're, we're gradually rolling deployments, like first likely will be governance, and we'll have publishers taking, and these these are not so far out. So, and we'll finally have an oracle where people can, like, even non-protocol can interact with the protocol by delegating and doing stuff. So, this remaining of you will be exciting on the on this front, like, actually putting the oracle network into the community's hands through delegation and all these. But first, yeah, I think cross-chain is the thing. Uh, is the most yeah exciting thing we have. Do you have anything else that excites you? Who me? Did you say me? 
No, Ed. Okay, yeah. that's, that's what I thought. Okay. I couldn't tell. I thought, I thought you were referring to Gerda. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I mean, yeah, cross is a big thing. Um, but everything you can, everything that you read about in the white paper will also be coming. So that includes the token distribution event. That includes on-chain staking. Includes governance. All that good stuff that makes the government uh, that makes the uh, Pith network a features complete uh, system. Awesome. Yeah, obligatory when token. <laughs> uh, when it's needed. Yeah, when it's needed. We, it's... We've seen too many, too many protocols, token, and well, and anyway, we see the price action like Infinity price action during this early bear has been amazing. Like it, 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 it trades like a stable coin. It's been like a, like a fifty cents mark strong. Yeah. And because there is utilities, it's kind of our approach around it. Yeah, no, it's incredible how much guy, how much um, utility you guys, your product provides to the whole Solana ecosystem. It's really awesome. Um, and yeah, just to reiterate, we really appreciate it <laughs> because uh, we wouldn't be able to run without Pith. So yeah, thanks for everything that you guys do. Our pleasure, and we appreciate you guys. If there's any price feeds or any new features you want from us, just let us know. We'll try and make it happen. You heard it here first, we community. When infinity. <laughs> infinity, USD price feed. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, the only the only place you're gonna get a price for Lifinity from is from our own constant product pool. So. <laughs> And thank you to Lifinity for finally making AMM intelligent. Because uh, I think it was a conversation I had yesterday. Was will we have AMM in twenty years? I don't know who will will be in twenty years, but it it, it feels like it, it's an amazing tool for very nascent product. Like sure price discovery of something that just was just created, but long term. Like for big trades, you'll never see that an institution or a big trading firm making a two, like a two thousand BTC swap on an AMM. But finally, with Definity, we have like like I don't know if you call it V two AMM or how you want to call it, or it's kind of like PMM, Proactive Market Maker. But it's insanely cool to enable that kind of evolution. Like that's kind of the whole goal of PIF. Like. Of course, we want the network, the Pith network itself to be strong, but like it will be stronger. Like it will be strong because amazing team build amazing products on top of it. And like we also say, like for now, people don't use Pith directly, like the community, they use products that use Pith. And down the line, your success is somehow a metric of our success. So that's kind of how we envision things. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Handshake emoji. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll bring this round to a close. Uh, maybe we can do another one a few months out. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. It was really great hanging out with you guys. Thank you so Thanks much. Again. All right. And for we'll the... do the return game. We'll do the return game in the PSD Discord, and we'll do a, a focus this time on whole affinity. Sounds good. Absolutely. I'm down. <laughs> I've been already. Come check out the Pith Network Discord. Thank you so much for having us, Yeah, thanks for the idea and thanks for coming by. Talk to you later. Good weekend. See you. Good day, guys.